Hello and welcome back to Crime on the Clark Fork, the true crime podcast where I tell you about big crimes that happen in small places, with each case having occurred in areas with a population of 15,000 or less. My name is Mackenzie Spence, and I'm so glad you're joining this week for a very interesting case. I'll let you know right now that this episode will be shorter than the last, so just a heads up, it comes with the territory of covering small town cases. I'm also going to let you know right now, I do have a co-host today, my dog, Kenai. He's very vocal, so if you hear something going on in the background, there's a 100% chance that it is him. So, let's jump into it. The sources for this week's episode are Census.gov, The New York Times, KVTB7, Idaho State University, The Washington Post, FamilySearch.org, Smithsonian Magazine, ABC News, CNN, Murderous Roots, KSL News Radio, Desiree News, USA Today, The U.S. Sun, CBS News, and posters of the Old West. This week, the Clark County John Doe. Du Bois, Idaho, 1916. Population, 233. And before any of you come at me, it is pronounced Du Bois, not Du Bois. I double-checked multiple times. So, it's Du Bois, Idaho. On August 26, 1979, a family was searching for arrowheads in the Idaho Civil Defense Caves, 40 miles outside of Du Bois, Idaho. When they began searching in the Buffalo Cave, they came upon a burlap sack. Curious as to what was inside, they opened it and found something far from what they were looking for. When the family peered inside the bag, they were met with the sight of a human torso, wearing a white shirt with blue pinstripes, a red sweater, overalls, and dark-colored pants. Missing were the head arms, and legs. The family quickly called the authorities, and a case was opened on the unidentified person. At the time, the sheriff believed that the remains were those of a gambler from the turn of the century, based on the clothing that was found on the body. But the coroner thought that the individual could not have been dead for more than ten years, based on the odor and presence of flesh on the skeletal remains. Due to the lack of a head, an identification was unable to be made, and at the time, DNA technology did not yet exist, so it was unable to be determined how long the body had been there. Due to this, the case went cold, and the torso was deemed the Clark County John Doe. In 1991, another family was exploring the caves in the Idaho Civil Defense Cave System. Similar to the family in 1979, they stumbled upon something in the Buffalo Cave, a mummified human hand. The discoverer of this grisly treasure was an 11-year-old girl. When this was reported to the authorities, an excavation was done on the surrounding area for any more body parts that may have been hiding in the cave. Through this, officials were able to recover an arm and two legs that were wrapped in burlap, the same material that the torso was wrapped in, that was found 12 years prior. Due to these new findings, officials began an intensive search of Buffalo Cave, looking for the unidentified man's head. Unfortunately, the head was unable to be recovered. The remains of the Clark County John Doe were examined by forensic specialists at the FBI as well as the Smithsonian in hopes to make a positive identification of the body. But unfortunately, there was no luck. The best they could do was determine that the remains belonged to a white man of European descent with reddish-brown hair, standing between 5'5 and 6'1, and was around 40 years old at the time of his death. They also believed that he had been dead for around four decades, or 40 years. 
Finally, it was able to be determined that the unidentified man was dismembered using a variety of tools, assumingly making it easier for the killer to hide his remains. Eventually, the case and skeletonized remains were handed over to the Idaho State University's anthropological researchers. The case sat cold for a while after the findings in 1991, including in 2015 when a group from Idaho State University went to the cave where the remains were originally found in search for the doe's head. But in 2019, 28 years after the initial findings, the Clark County Sheriff's Office and Idaho State University reached out to the DNA Doe Project for help identifying the Clark County Doe's remains, and they agreed. DNA was extracted from the Doe's leg bone, as it was so well-preserved that there was an accompanying sock that remained intact and looked brand new. With the funding from the DNA Doe Project, the remains were able to be digitized, and forensic teams started to work on building a genetic family tree of the man in hopes that it would lead them to an identification. Through the DNA sample, volunteer forensic genealogists were able to create a family tree for the man, which included more than 31,700 individuals. The researchers used news articles, gravestone information, and other records in order to find proof of life. In less than four months, with over 2,000 hours of research, an identification was made. The Clark County Doe's real name was Joseph Henry Loveless, a man who had gone missing in 1916 after escaping from jail in St. Anthony, Idaho. The most critical clue? A wanted poster of none other than Joseph Henry Loveless, who was described as wearing the exact same clothing that was found in the cave with the remains. Through the genealogy profile of Loveless, they were able to find a living descendant of the Clark County John Doe his 87-year-old grandson. The 87-year-old man was contacted by authorities, and he agreed to meet with them and give a DNA sample, which proved definitively that the deceased John Doe was, in fact, Joseph Henry Loveless. The kicker? Loveless's grandson had no knowledge of his grandfather's crimes. At the time, this was one of the oldest cases that have ever been solved using autosomal DNA, and one of the oldest using forensic genealogy. As stated earlier, the investigators originally believed that the victim had died four decades prior, but through the DNA Doe Project, they were able to determine that he had been killed 103 years ago. They also mentioned that the DNA was high quality, which was incredibly unusual for a sample that was so old. Archaeologists have a hypothesis for this the conditions of the volcanic cave where the remains were found. According to Samantha Blatt, a bioarchaeologist at Idaho State University, the temperature of the sand in the cave is around 37 degrees Fahrenheit, which may have contributed to the retained odor of the mummified remains that made the coroner in 1979 believe that the remains were less than 10 years old. Furthermore, the sock, again, that was found with the leg bone, was nearly perfectly preserved. So, who was Joseph Henry Loveless? Let's just say, as I hinted to earlier, he wasn't a good man. Loveless was born in 1870 in Payson, Utah, to his father, Joseph Jackson Loveless, and his mother, Sarah Jane Scriggins Loveless. He was the fifth of nine children. His parents were Mormon pioneers from the Latter-day Saint movement in the Utah Territory. His grandfather, 
John Jasper Lovelace was the patriarch of the family who discovered Mormonism in 1831 and had become a lifelong member. He also fully embraced polygamy and had four wives, which explains the sprawling family tree that the 14 volunteer forensic genealogists had created to figure out the identity of the John Doe. The genealogists and DNA experts also said that with polygamist family trees, there tends to be intermarrying, which affects DNA in very unpredictable ways, as well as half-relationships or half-cousins where two people share DNA with one parent. Lovelace eventually made his way from Utah to Idaho, which is where his crimes began. He was a career bootlegger and counterfeiter who went by many different aliases, including Walter Karens, Walter Curran, Walter Currens, Walter Cairns, Walter Guerin, Walter Kernans, and Charles Smith. He was married to Harriet Jane Savage in 1899 at the age of 28, and they had a daughter two years later, Thelma Lavina Loveless, in 1901. Loveless and Savage divorced not long after their daughter was born in 1904. The surprising thing about the divorce is that it was sought by Hattie rather than Loveless, um, and the allegations that Hattie made against Loveless to argue for the divorce included desertion and non-support of their one child together. The judge eventually ruled in Hattie's favor and granted full custody of their child. Not long after the divorce, Loveless was married once again on August 25, 1905, to a woman named Agnes Octavia Caldwell. Many sources say that the couple had four children together, but the genealogical tree of Loveless that I found shows that the couple actually had five children together, two of which were born prior to their marriage, which makes me believe that he was cheating on his first wife long before their divorce. The children who were born to Agnes and Loveless were Pearl Loveless, born in 1901, Robert Loveless, born in 1903, Claude Henry Loveless, born in 1906, Edison Loveless, born in 1908, and Bernice Loveless, born in 1913. In 1913, at the age of 42, Loveless was arrested multiple times for bootlegging, and in December 1914, he was arrested for bootlegging and put in jail. Not long after being put in jail, he made one of his many escapes by sawing through the jail bars and fleeing. After this escape, warrants were put out for his arrest in Idaho due to his bootlegging, other violations that encompassed liquor laws, and escaping jail. He was once again arrested in March 1916 on suspicion of the murder of a man in Pebble, Idaho, but he managed to stop the train that was escorting him to jail and once again attempted to escape. He was eventually recaptured after this incident, but managed to escape from jail not long after. Loveless managed to bring Agnes into his life of crime as a bootlegger as well, and the two committed these crimes together until Agnes's death. On May 8, 1916, Agnes Loveless, his second wife, was murdered by none other than her husband, Joseph Henry Loveless. Prior to the murder, neighbors of the couple in Dubois, Idaho, had stated that they heard the two arguing shortly before the crime occurred in their tent that they lived in with their eight-year-old son just outside of Dubois, Idaho. Agnes went out to dance in the city and returned home to go to sleep. The arguing that the neighbors heard occurred after Agnes had returned home from dancing. Loveless was mad about the hour that she had returned home, and he hounded her with questions, including where had she been and why was she home so late? Shortly after the fight, Agnes went to sleep, and at an early hour the next morning, while Agnes was sleeping in bed, 
Lovelace used an axe to murder his wife. He hacked at her to the point that Agnes's head was nearly severed from the rest of her body and her face was bludgeoned with the dull side of the axe. Her blood covered the floor of their tent and her brains were strewn about the room. He did all of this while two of their children were awake in the tent with them. Agnes's body was found in the tent by the couple's eight-year-old son the following morning and her husband was nowhere to be found. Agnes was rushed to the hospital but to no avail. She was too far gone. It is unclear in the sources whether she was alive when the police arrived or if she had already passed, but investigators believed that she did survive the attack and died a slow death while she bled out. The fact that Agnes's husband was missing when her body was found by police made him the prime suspect in her murder. The problem was that both Lovelace and Agnes were using aliases at the time and were known in town as Charles and Ada Smith, which made the search for Lovelace a lot more difficult. According to her death certificate, Agnes's official cause of death was injury to her head and homicide at 7 a.m. on May 8, 1916. Lovelace was on the run for three days before he was finally arrested for the murder of his wife on May 11th. He was arrested using one of his aliases, Walter Currens, for the murder of his wife, and he was then sent to Fremont County Prison, which is now St. Anthony, Idaho. After his arrest, Agnes's family held her funeral where her children were present because at this time, the children were staying with her family, especially because he was missing and there's no source that they were in contact with his family. One of the couple's children was quoted at the funeral saying, Papa never stayed in jail very long and he'll soon be out. Little did people at the funeral know, this child was correct. Lovelace managed to escape from the Fremont County Prison and go on the run just seven days after his arrest. He managed to saw through the bars of his cell with the saw he hid in his shoes, which this was his method of escaping from prison. I don't know why at this point they didn't check his shoes to make sure he didn't have his saw, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> um, you would think that after so many previous escapes, the prison would have kept a better eye on him, but unfortunately not. After he escaped, he was never seen again. It is rumored that in 1916, after his escape, he was seen living in a tent near Dubois, Idaho, but this has never been substantiated. To this day, it's unclear what caused Lovelace's death. Experts know it was a murder, but aren't able to determine how he was murdered. Um, but they did say that the dismemberment of Lovelace's body was most likely post-mortem, with sharp force trauma evident on the humeri, femora, and the fifth cervical vertebrae, as well as blunt force trauma on the humeri and femora. Many believed that he was murdered by Agnes's family, who was in Du Bois at the time for her funeral when he escaped. It would make sense since his head has never been found, and that is the part of the body he focused on when murdering Agnes. Either way, Lovelace probably got what he deserved in the end. Due to not knowing who killed Lovelace, this is a cold case. And if anyone has any information or stories, they're encouraged to reach out to the authorities. After the identification of the Clark County John Doe, a composite sketch was created of Lovelace. Since there are no known photos of Lovelace and his head 
and a scape saw was never able to be found. The image was actually created using photos of his close relatives as well as written descriptions from people who knew him. Today, Joseph Lovelace's headstone is located in, at Payson City Cemetery in Payson, Utah. And at this time, his body is not located there. The headstone has no death date, and mysteriously, investigators were actually unable to find any records associated with the plot that the headstone rests on. That's the story of the Clark County John Doe. And I know this episode was shorter than the last one, but again, that comes with the territory of one, old cases, and two, small town cases. But if you did enjoy this episode, please give me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you have any recommendations for cases, you can visit the link in the show's Instagram bio at Crime on the Clark Fork. And don't forget to tell your friends. See you next time.